Now turn with me today in your Bible to the book of Ezekiel. Turning this morning to chapter 22. And I want us to read from the latter part of the chapter. We're going to commence reading at the verse 23. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 23. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls, They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths. And I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey, to shed blood and to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have dubbed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me in the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Amen. And the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures at this time. Now my text this morning, if you haven't already guessed it, is taken from Ezekiel chapter 22 in the verse 30. It reads as follows. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And my theme today is entitled The Kind of Man That the Lord Is Looking For. Now, if you look at verse 30, I want you to underline the words in your Bible And I sought for a man among them. 
In Ezekiel's day, the Lord had come to the great city of Jerusalem in particular. He'd come to the land of Israel in general, and he'd come with a plan. He'd come with a purpose. He'd come with the intention that he would find a man to make up the hedge and to stand in the gap before him for the land. You see, the land and its people was in a crisis situation. So I want you to think of God with a mission on a search for men. You see, God is pleased to use men and women to do his work and forward his cause. This has been God's way from the beginning of time. Now, notice the words in the text. And I sought for a man among them. That's important. If you examine the context very carefully, it takes us back to the verse 23 where I started my reading. And the word of the Lord came unto me. That was Ezekiel. He was God's man. He was God's messenger. Say, son of man, say unto her, this was the land of Israel in general and the city of Jerusalem in particular, thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. You see, this is a day of indignation before the Lord. This is a day of God's judgment, a day of God's wrath. A day when God was dealing with the city of Jerusalem and its people and the land of Israel because of its sin, its apostasy, its departure from God. Notice in the verse 25, he mentions her prophets. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof. What are the prophets like? They're like a, a roaring lion devouring the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. And if you come down to verse 28, it says, And her prophets have dubbed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. Notice her priests, verse 26, her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths. And I am profaned among them. See, these were dark and difficult days for the church. Verse 27, her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. And then if we think about the people, it says in verse 29, the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Think of it. Among the leaders in the country, the princes... This is the type of men they were. This is what they were guilty of as far as their behavior is concerned. And then think about the leaders in the church. The prophets who were supposed to 
tell forth the word of God. And the priests who were to offer sacrifice and prayer, how they were behaving. And then think about the leadership in the crowd. And among them all, when God went through the princes and the prophets and the priests and went through the people, when God made his search to fulfill his purpose that he was seeking for a man to stand in the gap, he didn't find one godly man among them. He didn't find one godly woman amongst them. Nevertheless, it's a wonder to us that God himself is the one who makes the search. You see, judgment is coming. Dark clouds are gathering. And in that light, God is looking for a man to stand in the gap. To stand in the empty gap of the hedge. To, to, to fill the breach in the wall, if I change the analogy. And I want to say this morning, every one of God's servants, every one of God's children, every one of God's men and women who make up his family are, are, are part of that hedge. And, and they're a part of that wall that should be around the, the city and the church. And as I thought this morning of a Reformation theme, and as I prayed and asked the Lord to guide me and help me, these words came to my mind. And I sought for a man among them that I should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. And I, and I thought, well, well, what type of man, Lord, what type of woman are, are you looking for? Hence the theme this morning, the kind of men that the Lord is looking for. Let, let, let's think of these words. Surely the Lord would be looking for a saved man, a saved woman, a, a, an individual who knows him intimately and personally, one who's in a, an intimate relationship with him as the living and the true God. Remember Daniel 11, we read, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The text as you come into the church and the outer porch is be still and know that I am God. God can be known. God has made a revelation of himself, not only in the book of nature, but especially in the book of scripture. And, and the man that God is looking for is a man who knows him in an intimate, personal way. A man who is right with God. And that man will be one who has recognized his sinnership and who has confessed his sin before God. That will be a man who has, uh, has the blood of Christ applied. That will be a man who is born of the Spirit and then dwelt by the Spirit. That man will be gripped with the assurance that he's part and parcel of God's family. That man will be one who not only has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but a man who is filled with a deep love and passion for Jesus Christ. He will have that strong desire to, to live for him. He'll be able to say with Solomon, this is my beloved and this is my friend. So, so this morning as we think of our theme, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I a saved man? Am I a saved woman? Has there ever been a time in my life when I have thought, what must I do to be saved? And, and I have acknowledged my sin. I've cried out before God, God be merciful to me the sinner. 
And, and, and then you've heard the message, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I shall be saved. And that word believe means to, to trust him, ad adhere to and rely on. It, it's a continuous principle. It's not only a decision of a moment, but it's a decision that affects the whole of your life. Remember, it's not the church that saves. Salvation is found in Christ alone. On the basis of Christ's finished work. Remember what the Apostle Paul could say there in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 9 and or verses chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The kind of man or woman that the Lord is looking for is one who, who knows him, one who's in a right relationship with him, one who's genuinely and truly saved. Now I asked this morning, is, is that true of you? Is that true of me? Only you can answer for yourself before God. I want you to think secondly, when God says, and I sought for a man, I believe he was looking for a single-minded man. You see, if God has saved you this morning, then God has saved and transformed and changed you for a divine purpose. Your purpose in life is to honor and to glorify him remember man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever and how can you honor and glorify God well you can stand in the gap for him it's interesting that the text says I sought for a man he sought for a man among the rulers among the religious elite of the day he was looking for just one man to stand in the gap before him, to make up the hedge, to be a breach in the wall. You see, farmers in our community have hedges around their fields. And they know that long before they put cattle out in the fields, they need to check the fence. They need to check the hedge. And if there's a gap, and oftentimes there can be, well, that needs to be repaired. The gaps need to be filled in before you put the cattle in. Why? Because they would break out. They'd be a danger to themselves. There mustn't be a gap. And surely, has there not been times in history when there's been nothing between the nation and hell breaking out upon them? Because of the absence of men to stand in the gap. You, you, you turn uh, this morning there to Psalm 106. Look with me at Psalm 106. It's in the verse 23. It says in verse 23 of Psalm 106, Therefore he said, this is a reiteration of the history of the children of Israel, therefore he said that he would destroy them. Because of sin, God was going to destroy the children of Israel in the wilderness. Now notice these words. Had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Do you see that? There was a time when Moses stood in the gap before God. And if you want to know where that portion is found, it's found in the book of Numbers. This is what God had said to Moses. 
Numbers 16, verse 44. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Now, now think of that. What, what was God saying? The whole congregation of children of Israel are about to be destroyed. And the day comes because of their sin that God says to Moses, Get out of the way, Moses. Moses, I want you to move. Moses, this people are ripe for judgment. The judgment is ready to fall. So, so Moses, stand aside and let my judgment fall upon them. And what did Moses do? Well, listen to the text. And they fell upon their faces. Aaron was with them. And Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord and the plague is begun. Now, now I want you to see that. All right. Literally, Moses is saying, Lord, if you're going to judge them and they deserve judgment, they're, they're ready for it, then you must come at them via me. You must come at them via Aaron. You, you must trump over me first, Lord. Moses told Aaron to run to the brazen altar to take the censer to put fire therein, to run into the midst of the camp and make an atonement for the people. And that day, Moses and Aaron literally stood between the living and the dead. And they stood between the nation that was deserving of God's wrath and the outbreaking of that wrath. And they stood in the ground of the shed blood of the atonement. Think of that. The blood atonement was the covering in the face of God's wrath. They were literally sheltering under the blood. And can you not rejoice this morning as a child of God that you yourself are sheltering under that precious blood of Christ? The Bible says, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Do you, do you not see yourself having sheltered under that precious blood this morning, being single-minded enough to stand as part of God's hedge and God's wall? Remember the Lord says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You see, it's nothing this morning by the Lord to save by many or few. God didn't lead large numbers to come and save a country. He doesn't lead large numbers to deliver a church or a community. I, I think of Gideon's 300 at the springs of Harad. He, he used 300 to defeat thousands of the Midianites in a single night. You see, what the Lord is looking for is a man. Not only a saved man, but a single-minded man. A, a man who knows him. A man who loves him with all his heart and soul and strength. I, I think of another character in the Bible called Shamgar. A man who was single-minded enough to stand alone. One of David's mighty men and defend a lentil patch. Re refused to give it to the Philistines. The sword, we're told, cleave in his hand. A, a man who was faithful to God. You see, one with God's majority. God is looking for a man who is totally Committed to him. A man who is 100% for God and for his cause. Does the Bible not say the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth? Looking for one who is fully and totally committed to him. One who is totally, wholeheartedly decided that he's going to live for him. His heart and his life is right before God. It's subject to him. He's totally surrendered to him. You see, remember McShane said it's not great gifts and talents the Lord uses. It's great likeness to Jesus Christ. 
likeness to Christ. Wasn't he single-minded? Didn't he come into the world and say, I delight to do thy will, oh my God. You see, we live in a day. Whenever people have such a low view of their relationship with God and their relationship with Christ that they can profess his name, that they can claim to be his, that they can claim to be sheltering under the blood, but, but they don't live for him. They don't love him, really love him with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. They're, they're, they're not loyal to him. Is there not a, a lot of cold-heartedness among many who profess the name of the Lord? Is there not half-heartedness as far as Bible, but even Christianity is concerned, where people who profess to, put, uh, to love the Lord don't, don't put him first? They, they don't put themselves out. Remember the Bible says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. You see, we live in a day when there's a lot of wishy-washy Christianity about. A lot of namby-pamby Christianity. Where, where men are not men and, and women are not women. Why? Because there's a question mark if they're truly saved and born of the Spirit and in love with God. Because that single-minded purpose of living for the Lord isn't there. God says, I sought for a man. What sort of man? A saved man. A single-minded man. I want to tell you something else. A standing man. If you look at the text, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. Let me ask this this morning. Are you prepared as a true born-again believer to take a stand for God in our day and generation, to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, to take a stand for truth and righteousness, to, to stand for the honor and glory of King Jesus. You see, many today in the church, and this applies to the Free Presbyterian Church, were silenced by public opinion. We're almost afraid to say anything. We're silenced by political correctness. Political correctness has gone mad. We're silenced by fear. The Bible says the fear of man bringeth a snare. I think of Daniel's day. We're going to preach a series of messages in Daniel sometime. We'll start it soon. And remember in that day when Nebuchadnezzar had built the big image, the image of pure gold, the image that represented him, the image that was like 90 feet tall, and he had got all the princes, the prophets, the priests, the people, everybody was there who was anybody in the land. And they were in a particular plane. And then when they heard the sound of the musical instruments, what would they do? They were to fall down and worship the image. So you could just imagine the scene. And here's the music, and it's all playing. And then whenever it stops, everybody's bowed down. And if you looked, there was three men. Just three men. And they had refused to buy. What were those three young men doing? Could they not have pretended to buy? They could have, but they didn't. Those three young men took a stand for God. We're going to close with that hymn, Dare to be a Daniel, Dare to Stand Alone. And those three young men were prepared to stand, even if it was only them three, even if there's only been one of them. 
One of them was prepared to stand. And I want to ask, are you prepared to take a stand for Jesus Christ in your home where there's nobody else saved but you? Are you prepared to take a stand in your school when you're the only one in the class or maybe the only one in the whole of the school that's saved? I was talking to a young man and he told me, he says, Reverend McLaughlin, we went to a school, my sister and I have 2,000 young people. And we were the only two Christians in the school. Only two. And he says, we lived there as best we could for Christ and we took a stand in the things that we needed to stand for. And they all knew that we were Christians. Aye, and we were free Presbyterians and we weren't ashamed of it. What about taking a stand in the university? Is universities not hotbeds for an anti-God mindset and spirit today? We need young men and young women to go into university and take a stand for God. Take a stand for truth and righteousness. What about the workplace? What about society? Are we not being pressurized into, as I've said, this public opinion, this political correctness, this spirit of fear that we're going to say nothing about what's happening in the country? There was a time when the free church was to the fore speaking out against issues and against things, whether it was things to do with the church or whether it was things to do with the country. But we seem to have lost our voice. We seem to have lost our voice. And, and God is looking for men who will make a stand. Remember the Bible tells us there, if you look at your Bible there in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. And notice what the Apostle Paul says. Sorry, it's verse 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. C.T. Studd, a man who was a great cricketer, a millionaire, who gave away all his money, became a Christian. He wrote a book called The Chocolate Soldier. And aren't there many chocolate soldiers in the Lord's army today? They're dressed like soldiers. They speak like soldiers. They might act like soldiers. They look good. But when the heat of the battle and the conflict comes on, a chocolate soldier is useless. It melts away. And God is looking for men, young men, or older men, who will take a stand for him. And you'll need courage, and you'll need strength. You'll face criticism. You'll be intimidated into silence. And you'll need a spirit of holy boldness. Isn't it interesting that after Moses' death, Joshua, the newly appointed leader to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, seven times God come to him. And you know what he said? Be strong and have a good courage. You, you read it, the opening chapters of Joshua. Seven times in the, his lifetime, God came with that word. And the word was, be strong and have a good courage. And if you feel weak, and you lack courage, then the question is, go to God. Hear from heaven. Because the Lord can make you fearless for him. The Lord can give you strength to stand. Is it not written, he can make the righteous as bold as a lion? Let me tell you this story. There was a man called Colonel Thomas Jackson. You, you've never heard him. No, no relation to Travers, all right? And, and he lived in America. In fact, he was an officer in the Confederate Army in the Civil War in the United States of America. You know, there was a civil war between the North and the South. The Southerners are still aggrieved. They still talk about the war of Northern aggression. They blame the North for starting it over slavery. 
But the Confederate army was in the Shenandoah Valley, and they had come under a surprise attack from the Union soldiers. They were not expecting it, they were not ready, and troops were running everywhere, people were getting killed and blowing apart. And uh, General Lee, well, he was in command of the uh, Union army, and he shouted to them to stay in the lane. Stand, stand in the lane. And, and you know what he said? He said, look at Jackson. Jackson's like a stone wall. Stand and fight the enemy. And you know that became a nickname. Stonewall Jackson. That's what he's known as to this day. Very few people know he's called Thomas Jackson. They, they won that battle in the Shenandoah Valley. The, the first battle of Bull Run as it's called. Now they did of course lose the Civil War. Uh, why? Because Stonewall Jackson or Thomas Jackson had died at an early age. But what do we need? We need to be like a stone wall. And that's what we need in the church. That's what we need again in the free church. Men and women who will, who will stand like a stone wall. That's what we need in our com community. That's what we need in our country. This is the greatest need in Northern Ireland at the present. Here's the kind of man that God needs. The kind of man that God wants. There's gaps in the work. Is there not gaps in our prayer meetings? There's seats that could be filled. Is there not gaps in our pews? There's seats that need to be filled. Is there not gaps in our children's ministry? And we have big gaps in our children's ministry. We've got to face that. And we've got to grapple with that problem and deal with it before the Lord and have the mind of God in this place. There's many gaps in the work. Only God can fill them. And how will he fill them? He'd fill them with men who stand for him. Let me be very quick. A supplicating man. Here's the fourth kind of man that God is looking for. If you go back to the text, if you notice in the book of Ezekiel, it says in the text, and stand in the gap before me. The words before me are very important because I believe that includes spending time before the Lord in prayer. And is there not a need of prayer warriors? Did, did the, the psalmist not say, uh, but for my love they became my adversaries, but I gave myself to prayer. Psalm 109 and verse 4. It's one of my favorite verses. There's a need of the hour that God would pour a spirit of grace and supplication upon us. It was Ezekiel who wondered that there was no intercessor. And why are God's people in this crisis age not giving themselves to prayer? There's many, as I've said, who profess the name of Jesus Christ, profess to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. But there's many churches today and they never mention apostasy in the church, never mention the ecumenical movement, the charismatic infusion. They don't preach on the subject of sin. They very rarely, if any, preach in hell and eternal punishment. And they certainly don't take a stand against idolatry. They don't take a stand against murder in the land or, or against abortion or against false teachers. You see, Ezekiel says in chapter 13 and in the uh, verse uh, 5, Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Many have not gone into the gaps. Why? 
because they're not supplicating men and women. They're not men and women of prayer. And Moses, whenever he, in Exodus 17, was, was uh, overlooking the battlefield when Israel was fighting Elimelech, uh, 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 the, the, uh, and there was a crisis, Moses stood in the hill and he offered prayer. And Joshua was down in the valley fighting the enemy. And how did he win the battle? The battle was won because of Moses' prayers. There was a man to intercede. As the Bible tells us, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed. See, Elijah's prayer affected the whole of the country. The whole of the nation. And there's a need to pray, men and women. There's a need to go to God and call on the Lord. Daily, constantly, persistently giving ourselves to prayer. The man that God is looking for, the woman, is a supplicating man. I want you to tell you something else. I looked at the time. A scriptural man. A man of one book. I remember the late Dr. Paisley saying this at the funeral of the late Wesley Adams in his home. The Wesley Adams was a man of one book. And I, I remember that as a young man coming into this church. And I prayed, Lord, help me to be a man of the book. See, the psalmist said, Psalm 1, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You see, if we went back to Reformation times, Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, John Knox, even before that, the days of William Tyndale, John Wycliffe, Patrick Hamilton, many others, they were all men of one book. They were, they were not anti-intellectual. They studied and mastered the various schools of theology and philosophy in their day. They were experts in Hebrew and Greek and, and Latin. They were men of a good education. They were men who drunk at the fountain of human knowledge. And yet they turned from it all. And they turned to the infallible, the inerrant, authoritative, sufficient word of God. And they became men with an all-consuming passion for the word of God. Many believed that God is. Many believed that God has spoken. And the people trembled at the word of God. Young Ryan Malone told us on Friday night that he'd read the Bible through cover to cover Genesis to Revelation in a 15-month period. Is that not a challenge? Is there not free Presbyterians who are professing children of God, saved, who love the Lord? And yet, from week to week, they hardly turn one page of the Bible. Never mind one book. You see, if we love the Lord... If we testify to be his, then we love the words that the Lord has spoken down. The men of Reformation, they were men who spent all of their lives in the book of God. To them it was God's book. And they gave themselves to the study of the scriptures. And it wasn't just jargon to them. They were, they were gripped that this is God's inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word. They believed that every word of God is pure. And you see, sola scriptura wasn't just a slogan. They had a heart and a mind belief. They believed in the book. This is God's book. God has spoken. And that's why they were such great men. And that's why there were men who saw change in the country. Men of one book. I believe in that statement that's accurate. The Bible, the Bible alone is the religion of the Protestant. That was the starting and finishing point for the great men of the Reformation. 
You see, we live in a day when many are in pulpits and they don't believe the Bible. They apologize for the scriptures. They cast doubts in the Bible. They, they, they deny this and that supernatural out of the Bible. And what we need is young men, older men, men who know the book, men who have a good grasp of the things of God, not just a few verses, but men who can preach thus and thus saith the Lord. You see, if I was thinking about a medical doctor, it takes seven years to study medicine, architecture, took Miriam seven years to study architecture, the ins and outs of the body, the ins and outs of the building. Why? Because it's a matter of life and death. Well, how much more the man of God dealing with precious souls and here's souls in Israel and they're being devoured and they're being destroyed for lack of knowledge. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And one final thought. The men that God is looking for are sound men. I know some men from Belfast and they talked about being as sound as a pound. You see, we need men and women and young women who not only know the Lord, but know the passion and power of God in their souls. And they're gripped with the knowledge of the gospel. And the belief that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You see, the reformers were not theorists. They were experimentalists. And we need experimentals today. People who have experimented with the knowledge of God and it has gripped their heart with such passion and power that they have got a message from God. And isn't that what the gospel is? Isn't it a message from God? Doesn't it start with him? Isn't it a message about human sinfulness? There's the doctrine of human sin, doctrine of total depravity. It's a message that centers in the personal work of Christ. Knowledge of who he really is. Isn't it a message of a call to repentance and faith in him? Isn't it a message to, to live a life of loving obedience and holiness unto the Lord as the fruit of salvation? Isn't it a message about hell and eternal punishment and you're gripped with that? God is angry with the wicked every day. It's a message about heaven and home. You see, the gospel today is under attack. And we need to be gripped with an understanding of the gospel. And this is the kind of man that God wants. This is the kind of man that God is looking for. And this is the kind of man that we need for our pulpits after my day and generation. And this is the kind of man and woman that we need in the pew. Men who are filled with the power of God, who live for God. Men who are gripped with the gospel. Men who stand to the death for Christ. Men who seek the glory and honor of God. Isn't the church poor for the lack of such men that God has taken home? Could I encourage you this morning? Go and get alone with God. Cry out to God. Lord, help me to be the kind of man or woman that you want me to be. Help me to know that I'm saved. Help me to be single-minded. Help me, oh God, even at this time, to um, be a standing man. Help me, Lord, to be a supplicating man, a spiritual man. Help me to be a sound man when it comes to a knowledge of the gospel. May the Lord bless you this morning. I trust and pray the Lord will bless these few words to your hearts.